Good morning, saints. So we are in 1 John, and I invite you, if you have your Bibles, to turn or to scroll to 1 John. As I've said a number of times, John is writing to believers, and he has a couple things in mind. Things that he wants to make sure that the Christian church understands and grows in their confidence in. The first one is simply this. There was intense persecution and opposition to the gospel while John was writing. It's no secret that uh, all of his, we'll call them colleagues, uh, the original, the leaders of the church, at this point they had been martyred for their faith. And John was in exile. It is true that throughout the history of the church there has always been opposition to the gospel at sometimes ferocious in different places and in different times. John wants them to remain firm in their faith. Secondly, John recognizes, as Paul warned the Ephesian church, to the Ephesian elders, that as soon as he would leave, there would be false teachers coming in among them. Right? There's the truth of God which stands. Upon this rock, Jesus said, I will build my church and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. So the scheme of the enemy of our adversary is to put up a million fake truths around the truth. He cannot and he will not ever topple the truth. So he has a a scheme of disinformation. There are false teachers peddling false Doctrine, false gospels, if you will. And John wants his people to know what the real deal is. How to know someone is truly a Christian. We're not just talking about people who are peddling false doctrine, but these people actually were not true followers of Christ. That's what he has in mind. Last week, I left you with this one challenge, if you will. Find one person specifically to show the love of Christ to one specific person to flesh out what John has been reminding us of and teaching us to love other people, specifically those in the household of faith. I have good news. If you weren't able to execute that this week or if you forgot, it's a brand new week because basically it is on your to-do list every single week of the year. We saw last week that we cannot see God with our eyes. But John said in the extended passage, we see God clearly when the people of God are loving the people of God. When the people of God love well, God is in full view because, John said, God is love. And it is he who first loved us. And as he developed this, develops this beautiful theme of the love of God, he then takes us to the day of judgment when we will stand before Almighty God, who is holy, righteous, and just. And we know in and of ourselves we are not that. Oh, but he says the love of God casts out fear. Why? Because we know him. 
God showed us his love by sending his son to die for our sins. And as we have embraced the Lord Jesus Christ, we have no fear of judgment. As Paul put it to the Romans, there is therefore now no condemnation, none, none whatsoever for those who are in Christ Jesus. So let's talk about some concepts and gospel themes that John has been developing throughout his letter. Remember, John, as we said, you probably noticed this, he kind of goes like this, right? He, he, he circles back to what he said before, but he'll present it maybe a little more forcefully or in a slightly different way with a different application. So here are some big themes that we see in the book of First John. The first one, born of God. You will see John repeating this concept over and over and over and over again. Born of God or born of him, he might say. The absolute essence of our Christian life. In fact, I would say this concept that we also call regeneration is perhaps the most understated truth regarding the gospel in Christian circles. It is beautiful and stunning. It is the life of God in the life of people. The life of God residing in me. As he reminded us last week, as Paul also taught, his Holy Spirit living inside of us. That is the essence of our faith, our union with Christ, God making his dwelling in regular people just like you and me. Another word that he speaks of this morning is faith. That is my personal response to the person and the work of Jesus Christ. My personal response to Christ, my full confidence and my trust in Jesus Christ as my Savior and Lord. He will speak about righteousness, practicing righteousness. The life of God in the life of people. We now practice righteousness. And if we don't, the opposite of that, he says, how can the life of God be in you if your life is just the same as when you profess to be a Christian? Love God. We'll see this morning, again, this is the essence of our faith. Those who are born again, born of God, shocker, love God. We love him from our heart from right here. No one is forcing us to do this. We love him. How can we not? Because we have been born of him. Oh, and what's right next to that? Loving people. John has developed this, this theme tirelessly. And he will focus primarily on the fellow believers, but not just the fellow believers. We'll develop that more this morning. But now, we'll do a little twist on righteousness. Practicing righteousness, yes. A different life, yes. But loving 
righteousness. We're now inclined to the righteousness of God. We are now inclined to do what is right. We fail and we grow in that process, but there is a new disposition. Remember Jeremiah chapter 31. He said this regarding the new covenant. I will put my law on your heart. So now from the heart, we love the ways of God. And how disappointed we can be when we know we fail in that. Specifically, this is worth bearing out, we love God's children. Love people, yes, in a broad sense, but more specifically, loving fellow believers in Christ. A theme that we'll focus on this morning that he has mentioned, but he now brings very forcefully, overcome. It is a glorious word. Victor, conquer, someone who wins. That is what an overcomer is. And the essence of the second word we put up, faith, is believing in Jesus. Specifically, believing in the person and the work of Jesus Christ. Who he is And what he has done. God's provision for us. So that's a little uh, refresher. Let's read our text. 1 John chapter 5. We're now in chapter 5. We're kind of coming towards the end. But you'll notice basically everything he says. He said in one way or another leading up to this. 1 John chapter 5 verse 1. Everyone who believes that Jesus is the Christ, that's the substance of our faith, has been born of God, and everyone who loves the Father loves whomever has been born of Him. By this we know that we love the children of God when we love God and obey His commandments, for this is the love of God, that we keep His commandments, and His commandments are not burdensome. Burdensome. For everyone who has been born of God overcomes the world, and this is the victory that has overcome the world, our faith. Who is, uh, who is it that overcomes the world except the one who believes that Jesus is The son of God. Now hold your place there. Right in that very passage. I loved hearing the wrinkling of the papers turning just a moment ago. Let's walk through this again very carefully. There are seven truths that I'd like to highlight from this passage. Go back to the very beginning. Everyone who believes that Jesus is the Christ has been born of God. Truth number one. Faith in Christ. Belief in Jesus Christ is regeneration, born again. Everyone who loves the Father, uh, and everyone who loves the Father, loves whomever has been born of Him. That's truth number two. If you are born again, if you are have the life of God in you, you love God and you love His people. Because we're all one family. Truth number three. By this we know... By this we love the children of God. When we love God. Loving people begins with loving God. And loving God begins with being born again. But it's not just that. 
Oh, he's going to bring all of this together this morning for us. When we love God and obey his commandments, obedience. So here's your definition of loving God. For I think we're at truth number four, I believe. The, this is the love of God that we keep his commandments. Please stop telling me about how you feel. Please. That's not New Testament love. God loved us and sent his son. Action. Loving God in his purest sense is obeying him. And we'll pick that up in just a little bit. But truth number five nestled right in the middle of all this discussion. His commandments are not burdensome. Now you just stop for a moment. That is not what the world will tell you. You might as well put a noose around your neck, they'll say. To try to live like that? Who are you? Well, you say I'm a child of God. And that which God declares to be his way, his righteousness, his goodness, I am now inclined to live just like that. It is not a burden at all. It is challenging. And I'm sorry when I fall short, but I want to grow in that area. Truth number six. Everyone who has been born of God overcomes the world. Here's our term for today is overcome or overcomer. Everyone, what does that mean? You know in the Greek, that word that's translated everyone, it means everyone. No surprises. There's not a special club in the family of God. If you are a believer in Christ, if you have been born of God, you are an overcomer. It is a blessed truth, and it will be our focus this morning. But there's one more truth I want to highlight in our passage. Who is he that overcomes the world except the one who believes that Jesus is the Son of God? This is our faith, the essence of our faith. Believing in Jesus is not just some you know, concept out there. We believe that Jesus is who he said he is. We believe that Jesus is what, who the apostles said he is. And that he did for me what he said, what the Old Testament prophets and the New Testament apostles said he would do for, whoever, for whosoever will will come. We believe that. And we trust in that. We trust in the provision that God has given us in Christ. So we begin this morning with a New Testament theme that hopefully is becoming ingrained in our collective thinking. And that is in our collective thinking and in our Bible literacy. And that is this very simple concept that is profound. The life of God in the life of people. We call this regeneration. The Bible says that when we believe in Jesus, we are forgiven. It's remarkable. The Bible now calls us saints. Even more amazing. Because that's what we are. The holy ones of God. But a lot of that 
in its essence, is a status change. We were this and now we're that. The magic sauce, if we call it that way, if we can call it that, the special sauce is the life of God in me. That is the essence of what it means to be a Christian. Our union with Christ. We are now one with Jesus Christ. As we will see, he overcame. And because I am in Christ, I am an overcomer. The essence of what it means to be a Christian is our new life in Christ, God living with us. I have a few verses. I just want to take you through some verses in the Gospel of John. If you, again, if you have your Bible, please turn or scroll to John's Gospel. The Gospel according to John. We'll look at chapter 1. I'm going to take you through a handful of verses Because I want you to see how John lays this out so beautifully and so clearly for us. Remember, John had a very special special audience in mind. Those of us who are not as intimately um, aware or acquainted with the Jewish faith and, and, and all of what it means that Jesus was the promised Messiah. So you'll notice as you read your New Testament, John looks a little different than Matthew, Mark, and Luke. Matthew, Mark, and Luke are what we call the synoptic gospels through the same lens. They're seeing things and speaking to the same things, basically through the same lens. John comes in and does the same thing on paper, but he gives an expanded view and he explains it for those of us who are the Johnny come late to the party. John chapter 1 Verse 12, but to, speaking of Jesus, but to all who did receive him, received him, who believed on his name, God gave the right to become the children of God. That's a stunning statement. To those who received Jesus, who believed on him, They have the right, the privilege, the honor to become the children of God. Who were born, not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. Born of God. John chapter 3, verse 5. We've seen this before. Jesus speaking to A Pharisee, verse 3, Nicodemus, remember, dead of night, wanted to figure out who this Jesus is. Didn't agree with him, but he's like, he's kind of, you know, raising people from the dead and doing all these things. Maybe we should listen to him. Verse 3, Jesus answered him, Nicodemus, truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born again, literally born from above, he cannot see the kingdom of God. Right? So right at the very foundation, John is helping us to see what it means to be born again, to be born of God. John chapter 5, verse 24. What does this look like? John chapter 4, ver- I'm sorry, chapter 5, verse 24. Truly, truly, I say to you, whoever hears my word and believes in him who sent me, has eternal life. 
our response to the Lord, our response to Jesus Christ, whom he has sent. He does not come into judgment, but has passed from death to life. That is exactly what John was speaking about last week in his letter. No fear. That fear has been removed. Because when we believe in Jesus, there is no condemnation for those of us who are in Christ. This is the beauty of the gospel. Now, all the way to the end, pretty much, of his gospel. John chapter 20. Verse 30. This is a beautiful verse. This is John coming clean and telling you why he's writing you this gospel. Right? He probably had plenty of other things he could have been doing, but he's like, no, I'm going to compile a, an accurate representation of who Jesus is and what he taught and why that is relevant to each and every one of us. Here we go. Verse 30. Now Jesus did many other signs in the presence of the disciples, which are not written in this book. But these are written. What I have given you has been given to you for this purpose. What is it? That you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God. That you would believe that Jesus is who he said he is. That he did what only he could do. That your faith, your confidence, your trust is in him. And by believing, you may have life in his name. Sometimes we read about eternal life, which makes sense to us, but sometimes we too quickly fast forward to eternity and say, well, I'm going to go to heaven when I die, which is absolutely true. But that's not the essence of what it means to be a Christian. You're now alive. You are alive in Christ. Ephesians chapter 2 tells us in great detail the first three verses that we were dead in our sins. Christianity is not a moral religion. No thank you. I don't need that. Christianity is making dead people alive and giving us life in Christ. Eternal life to know God, to know Jesus Christ, to truly know him, to not be afraid of judgment because Jesus took that judgment upon himself. That, my friends, is what it means to be a Christian. That is the new life that we are speaking to. So let's look at a different New Testament author, how he presents this new birth. I take you to 2 Peter chapter 1. This is my mom's, one of her favorite verses. We're going this afternoon to celebrate her 81st birthday, which is on Tuesday. Um, yeah, you can give a clap. Notice what Peter says. We're going to pick it up in verse 3 of chapter 1. 2 Peter chapter 1 verse 3. God's divine power. That's where it all starts. You don't make dead people alive, you know, by weakness. His divine power has granted to us all things pertaining to life. Remember, John said, I'm, I hope you believe this because by believing you have life. He's given us everything in the gospel. Uh, where are we? 
pertaining to life and to godliness through our knowledge of him, through knowing him. Now, the mechanics of the gospel. Who called us to his own glory and excellence in the gospel. That's what we have inherited. We have been called to his own glory and excellence. You are not called to a social club. You're not called to the moral club of America. No. We are sinners who are redeemed, who are born again. We've been called to the very glory and the beauty and the excellence of God himself, by which he has granted to us his precious and very great promises. The gospel comes with a promise. Believe in me and you will have eternal life and I will never leave you. I will never forsake you. The gospel is so full of promises for us today. And amen. So that, now watch this, through them you might become partakers of the divine nature. I hope we don't gloss over these statements. He is not saying that you're going to become divine. What he's saying is our union with Christ. We are one with Christ. We believe in him. We are in him Therefore, in that sense, we are partakers of God himself. We are the children of God. Now notice, the flip side of that. Escaped from the corruption that is in the world because of sinful desires. Another way of basically saying what John has been saying his entire letter. Born of him. So we're born of God. Now, what does this new birth look like? What is John showing us over and over and over again what this looks like? I go back to our text. Because we're born again, we love God. We love the people of God. Now, let me tell you something. There's a reason why I personally choose to go on the ministry trips that we do around the world. It fills my cup as your pastor. The most remarkable thing. You go to another culture. People who don't look like me, talk like me. Different cultural, you know, details, all those things. And yet, they believe in Christ. I believe in Christ. None of the superficial differences matter at all because I'm born of God. I love God. God loves me. I love you because you, especially you are of the same household of faith. It's a beautiful thing. So we love God. We love the people of God. Well, how do we do this? We do it by loving God and obeying him. To love God is to keep his commandments. Again, This is not an emotion. This is not how we feel at any given moment. Loving people can be challenging. It can be difficult. It takes intentionality. It takes great patience. It takes us reminding ourselves how God has loved us in the state that we were in and probably currently are too. That 
enables us to love other people freely and to love them well. And as we're speaking about obedience, the commands of God are no longer hard. They're no longer a burden. Oh, we want to do it. We want to do what pleases him. Notice what Jesus said. This is John chapter 14. I want you to see when we're talking about loving people, the the title of this sermon is actually a beautiful tapestry because he's weaving everything together. John will now take these big concepts, loving God and loving people, and practicing righteousness, and he's going to bring them together, and we're going to see how it all fits together. Notice how Jesus describes what it means to love him or to love God. John chapter 14, verse 21. Whoever has my commandments and has warm, fuzzy feelings on the inside whenever he... That's not what he says. Whoever has my commandments... And keeps them. That's the one. That's the one. Who loves me. Spare me. Your emotional talk. And your feelings. And this and that. And I'm not saying those aren't important. But that's not the essence. Obedience. And he who loves me will be loved by my father and I will love him and manifest myself to him. We demonstrate our love for God. We flesh it out by obeying him. Do you ever feel like maybe you're stuck in your walk with the Lord? You just, another conversation we might call it like we plateaued a little bit. We're just kind of flat. One thing to ask yourself is this. Have you obeyed something that he has made known to you? Right? Like don't expect to grow in your relationship with the Lord if you're actively disobeying something that A, you know to be true and B, he has actually brought to your attention. It's a good question to ask. And it's a great way to get unstuck as well. Now, Jesus was actually a little more blunt and to the point. This is why I asked James to read this at the beginning of the service. Luke chapter 6, verse 46. Note, perhaps, a sense of exasperation. (laughs) Why do you call me Lord, Lord, and don't do what I ask you to do? Like, that's not how it works. Don't just smile and say, what a, oh, that's beautiful. I, I love that. And then not obey me. Obedience is how we show our love for God. Now, third, we come to a term in this text that we have seen before. But John is going to use it three times in this passage, and he's going to drive home his point. It is the word overcome. This is a favorite word of John's. This word appears a little under 30 times, I think it's 28 times in the New Testament. 24 of them are from your friend and mine, John. He loves this word. Think of it this way in Scripture, we are called so many things. 
We are called believers. We're called the children of God or a child of God. We're called children of light. Astonishingly, we're called saints. We're called the chosen, the called, heirs. What are my favorite? We're called pilgrims. Hebrews 11, just passing through. This is not our home. This is not our home. We are citizens of heaven. Overcome. What does that word mean? Definitions could be things like conqueror, victor, or winner. Basically, someone who wins at the end. But not just eeks by, decisive. We don't call someone who's a victor or a conqueror, someone who just barely makes it by, not at all. It's a strong word. We are said to be overcomers. Now, there's something very interesting about this, the usage of how John uses this word. Back in the ancient world, back in the Greek world, this word was, this word was reserved for the gods, lowercase g. Because they were always the ones who won, right? And we want to be on the winning side. Whoever's going to be the winner, we want to be on that guy's side. The New Testament, not just John, does something remarkable. The New Testament, under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, takes that term and applies them to people, to you and to me. Why? Well, because we're born of God and because we are one with Christ, our union with Jesus Christ. So John wants us to have confidence in our true identity. This is really important. John wants us to have confidence in the face of opposition, spiritual warfare, persecution, ridicule, discouragement, all of those things, and the war of disinformation that Satan has waged from the very beginning. How were we introduced to him in God's word? Yea, hath God said. Did God really say that? Did God really mean that? I know he said that. But let me tell you this nice philosophy and ideology over here that explains why this is irrelevant. That's been his MO from the very, very beginning. What have we overcome? The world, the devil, and the final enemy, which is death. Let's take a look at this in real time. John chapter 16. Notice how Jesus uses this very word in regards to himself. This is important. Jesus is speaking, and he's speaking about himself. John chapter 16, verse 33. I have said these things to you that in, that in me you may have peace. In the world you will have tribulation. Watch this, but take heart. I've overcome the world. 
every vile sin and hurt and heartache and grief that you encounter in life, Jesus has overcome. Why is it important that we take the time to say that Jesus has overcome? Because we are in Christ. Look at how Paul uses this regarding us in different ways. 1 Corinthians 15. Look at this. It's a long chapter. Verse 57. This is the great treatise, if you will, on the resurrection of Jesus Christ and the resurrection of the righteous. That entire chapter. 57 verses. We're not even done. But look at how he closes it out. But thank God who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. He's the victor. And I am united to him. All of grace. By faith. It's astonishing. But Paul says, I want you to have this mindset. Look at what he said to the Romans. This is a familiar passage, Romans chapter 8. I've already referenced the first verse. No condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. And he goes on to speak about the beauty of the gospel of Christ. How suffering prepares us for glory. We are co-heirs with Christ. All of these truths Paul is giving. But watch what he says at the very end. You might remember this part of the, of the chapter where he talks about tribulations and persecutions and, and dying by the sword and all these things that we face as believers. Nah. Might sound a little discouraging. He says, but don't lose your focus. In all of these things, when we face trials and tribulations, when we even uh, face grief, and when we face persecution, which some of our brothers and sisters have faced far greater than we have or will, in all of these things, you are, this is emphasis, more than conqueror. Same word. You are more than that. Through him, do you hear John in the background? Who loved us. You are an overcomer because you have believed in Jesus. You are in Christ. Therefore, you are an overcomer. So saints, here's what I want you to do this week. Still think about who you can love intentionally. I want you to take this concept, overcome. The word, overcome or overcomer. And I want you to remind yourself every single day that this is who you are. This is not a self-help exercise. This is taking the truth of God and allowing it to penetrate our mind and our heart so that we begin every single day reminding us what the Bible says clearly from beginning to end. This is who we are in Christ. Options include your bathroom mirror, your car steering wheel, your phone, your screensaver, anything, every day, preferably at the beginning of the day, remind yourself this is what God says is true because I am in Christ. Let's bow and prepare our hearts for prayer. And then I'd like to close with a very brief video clip. Let's pray together.
Lord, thank you for the simplicity and the power of the gospel. Thank you for the good news. When we believe Jesus is who he is, we believe that what he did for us is sufficient. And we receive him. We put our faith and our confidence in the person and work of Christ. Jesus said, when we believe in him, we pass from death to life. Oh Lord, our sincere prayers that if there's anyone here today who has not taken that first step, then in the quietness of their own heart, today would be the day of their salvation. Lord, we are bombarded these days with information bits that I don't think people in previous generations ever, ever experienced. The amount of information, the amount of disinformation, the ungodly false teaching that is out there regarding God's word, your word, the gospel of Christ and what it means to follow him. Oh, Lord, root us and ground us in your word and in your truth. And my specific prayer this morning. For those of us who have put our faith in Christ, which I trust is all of us. That we would believe and be reminded that we are overcomers in Christ Jesus. It's in your name that we pray. Amen.